Mythalcha. Welcome to the Crown Bahad podcast for May 11, 2023. My name's Terrence O'Donnell, and I'm back again for another episode of Backpage News from Around the World and an op-ed about something that may be important to you or not. And this week, I got a couple of them for you. In this once-a-week podcast, now being hosted on RSS.com and so many other platforms like Apple and Spotify and a few others, I try to stay away from the prominent news headlines of the week because it seems so redundant to repeat the same news that you already know about. Instead, I try to offer you backpage news stories from writers and, and journalists from around the world that you may haven't heard of yet. These stories are usually about anything under the sun that may bring you a smile or two and make you think for a moment, or at least I hope so. A little about me. I'm of Irish descent and a self-professed Sean Kay, a Gaelic storyteller. And I want this podcast to feel like we're sitting under the Gaelic crown biha, which translates to the tree of life, which is typically the village oak tree. Sitting under the imaginary tree together, I will pass on some headlines to back page stories and my commentary, some of which may even be amusing at times. The show is more about me trying to bring attention to the little-known stories found in the world news during the last week. I want to use this podcast as a friendly space to promote my activism to address the wrongs of the world, at least the ones that are often missed as the front-page news tends to overshadow them. I just hope that I can do so without offending anyone. I offer this podcast free to anyone who cares to listen because I have no desire to charge money as I bring attention to the little things going on in the world, things that I feel that you should know about. I think monetizing this show takes away from the idea of what this show is all about. I do offer the option of donations of subscriptions should I ever become good enough to deserve them for my written online stories and articles, more of which you'll find out during the break. Speaking of which, I will be taking a break once I deliver the headlines. During that break, I do promote my own website, stories, and articles in a one to two short, you know, minute clips, but nothing real fancy. Now, with that said, let's get to the stories of the week. I took this basically last Thursday afternoon, and this story comes from Pakistan. And it was in Al Jazeera by Hafsa Adil on May 11th. And because of the unrest over the arrest of Imran Khan, who has since been let go now, and he's still in the news, the Indian government shut down all the mobile services causing widespread chaos and economic instability. What if the GOP decided to do this to American citizens in their war on crime? This isn't that hard to imagine here in the U.S. right now. So basically what this amounted to was because there was a a really high-profile arrest of a former prime minister in Pakistan, and there was such a, a fuss about it, they shut off the Internet to everybody. And, of course, a lot of people depend on those apps and things on their phones to run their livelihood over there. Well, what if they did that here in the States? What if they decided that they wanted to um, suppress unrest here and shut off the Internet to everybody in the country? Imagine what that would do. So my next story is kind of a funny, and not really a ha-ha way, but it goes to show you the... The amount of, I don't, I don't have a word for it actually, the amount of influence these people try to get um, and just get attention to brought to themselves. 
I guess that's the way to put it. So the story is YouTuber accused of deliberately crashing plane for views, please guilty. So what we mean by for views, he was trying to get attention on a social media app. And so he wasn't getting enough apparently with just the app. He decided to put cameras on a plane and record the crash. So he's 29 years old. His name is Trevor Jacob. And he traces up to 20 years in prison for destroying wreckage of a small plane. He crashed in 2021, all because he wanted views on his social app. The next one I have for you, this is an economic article here. It's called Companies Are Shedding Office Space and It May Be Killing Small Businesses from Arizu Rizvani. And this is NPR.org. This, this speaks to a growing problem that's going to have major repercussions across the financial world. A slow-moving domino effect as corporations start renewing leases. Stop renewing leases. Landlords go on the hook for the offices they can't rent, and the banks end up foreclosing or dealing with the bankruptcies. And it won't be long before the recent bank failures will be just the tip of the iceberg, sending the U.S. economy into a tailspin worse than 2008. So, for anybody who remembers 2008, we had a huge real estate scam, basically, on a financial global thing, mostly here in the United States, because banks started out with small banks who are owned by larger banks. Think J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs and other financial institutions. They wrote a whole bunch of loans to people that never should have gotten them so they could buy houses. And when they couldn't afford to pay the house notes on them anymore, they defaulted and the banks were on the hook and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's happening all over again. Well, not houses anymore. It's all about commercial real estate. All these big corporations before the pandemic had lots and lots of office space rented out. Well, the pandemic sent everybody home. They allowed everybody to work from home. All the people like working from home. Well, now these companies are letting their leases go because they found out that they don't need so much office space anymore. Well, the problem is somebody owns that space. So if, if a corporation decides, like a bank, for example, their corporate offices, I can think of one right here where I'm at, matter of fact, that decides they don't need that much office space anymore and they don't renew the lease. Well, the owner of that building is on the hook and unless he's got filthy rich billionaire and could pay cash for the building, he owes the bank some money. Well, guess what? No rent coming in. You can't make it a mortgage payment. And that's how it goes. The domino effect. The big thing about this is you're going to probably see more of this in the financial news here in the next few years. And here's one. It's an immigration article here. This comes came from intpolicydigest.org by April Liu. This story speaks to a bigger bigger picture in the U.S. The Immigration Department has a problem with vague rules and policies for students who want to work in the U.S. after graduating from a U.S. college. But the visa program and American attitudes are shutting foreign students out. American companies are telling foreign students, we only hire U.S. citizens. And the Immigration Department is severely backlogged. Yeah, go figure. Maybe by design? Well, there's a very good possibility. So if anybody remembers Stephen Miller from when Donald Trump was president, he would be worn out. He'd be all over that. 
We already know that the GOP doesn't want foreigners working in the U.S. anymore. They're afraid of citizens being out of work or replaced. Well, that's their story. So the big thing about it, we, we know this from lots and lots of front page stories, how the GOP is pushing this deal that immigrants are going to come in and replace all the white people in this country. And white people should be very afraid. You should be afraid of losing your jobs. You should be afraid of losing everything to all these brown-skinned people that are coming in from other countries. Well, that's a lie. We don't need to be afraid of all these people. There's plenty of room. There's, well, there could be a lot of food if they managed it right. So it's not an issue of being able to provide for these people because we really don't need to provide much. I mean, agriculture companies right now are screaming for people to come out work in the fields. And construction wants people to go to work and build things. But all of their workers are leaving because they're afraid of immigration. So we have foreign students who are becoming college graduates. They want to find tech jobs and other things here in the United States. Well, the government is blocking that. Or I say bad. I say blocking. I don't necessarily mean blocking per se. Officially. Unofficially, they're doing everything they can to drag their feet to keep these foreign students out of the country because they want to make room for only U.S. citizens to have these open jobs. Well, guess what? you got a lot of companies around the country right now that are screaming that they can't get people to work for them. So what? Now, you know, what's it going to be? You either do it or you don't. And then here's another article here. This one came from CBC News. Uh, a journalist by the name of Don Pittis. Economists worry growing conflict with China will make Canada and the world poorer. Cold War effect could slow the economy and weaken dialogue on crucial issues. And like I said, it came out of CBC News. This story applies to every country around the world. Geopolitics, most notably, notably issues with China, Russia, and some of their allies, are causing economic ripples for the richest people and their global corporations. My take on this, would that be such a bad thing? Take them down a peg and bring some of that money back to the middle income and poor working class. And I say this, this doesn't apply just to the United States. And, you know, this talks about Canada, their, least, their recent rift with Chinese and expelling a diplomat for interfering with their politics, uh, you know, in, in this case, elections. And they had every right to do so. And the big thing here is the U.S. has got a problem with that, too. Not necessarily Chinese, but Russians interfering with our elections. And there's a big dust off about that right now. But, it, you know, the truth is, they did it. Obviously, they're not going to own up to it. Uh, half the half our government legislatures are saying, yes, you did. And the other half are saying, no, you didn't. And so the argument goes. But the bottom line is, I'm thinking that these global corporations that want to interfere in elections, whether they're a foreign country or just American billionaires, they ought to be stopped. Elections have no business being meddled with, no matter who that is. Here's another one, and this one talks about, ah, it's not about immigration per se, but it is racism, as the word goes. I call it tribalism. And this article is the outrage over Rashida Tlaib's Palestinian Nakba event reveals everything about U.S. politics. A Palestinian member can't even talk about her family's history without being labeled anti-Semitic. And this came out at newrepublic.com by Prem Thakar. 
It's about money. How Israel gets away with its attempts to retake all of its biblical lands and throw the Palestinians off their traditional homeland, all because of the Jewish ancient text. For the U.S., it's about the money. As long as Israel keeps buying weapons from the U.S., the American politicians will keep backing them at the expense of the, politi- at the Palestinians. How much does that sound like U.S. politics of the 19th century when they try to wipe out the Native Americans for the same reason? And again, follow the money. And this is a climate change article. This one came out of Kenya. Uh, it's in the BBC.com World News. Kenya farmer... I'm afraid the elephants will kill me. It is about a conflict over resources over there in Kenya between the elephants and the people over there trying to eke out a living off the land. They don't have enough rain. You know, that's going on around the world right now. And there's not enough food and water for both the elephants and the humans. With no help from the Kenyan government, who do you think is going to lose? Well, that's, that's a good question. So are the farmers going to take up arms against all the elephants? We already know that the elephants are being killed off in an in a, in exorbitant amount right now. And then humans are doing it because they're wanting to live more than the elephants. And so the fight is the elephants or humans. And it's, I hate to say that, but I'm, I wish there was a better solution. I hate to see a lot of these elephants getting killed um, over food over there. There has to be something better we can do. Here's an immigration article back here in the United States. So so close to Canada, but stranded in Maine. After Roxham change, migrants are piling up in this small U.S. city. And this is from Verity Stevenson in CBC CBC News. So Roxham Road closed. Portland, Maine services are straining on the needs of 1,500 asylum seekers. What happened is Portland, Maine is a little seacoast city down in the southwest corner of Maine. Normally, it has more tourism news about it than anything else. But right now, they're having an issue with migrants because they were crossing through Portland up into Vermont and going up across the border at Roxham Road. Well, they closed off their border crossing, so all these folks are now stuck in Portland. Well, Portland doesn't have the resources to take care of them. So they're all just running around over there like crazy, trying to figure out what to do. Now, according to the article, um, you know, they're kind of some of the other other communities have tried to help out. But Maine is a very, very, very poor state. I know this because I lived there for a lot of years and they don't have the resources statewide to tear all these people. They got plenty of land. They got all the land in the world that they could open up and not have to worry about cutting trees or anything. Just let them go. Hey, here's a tent. Have a nice day. But the problem is they don't have enough food. And they don't have, you know, obviously these folks need more than just a tent. But the problem is, even though they have all this open land, the Maine is so poor they can't take care of them. And then I got an article here about guns. I kind of have one every week because it's a big thing here in the United States. This This is more about Tom Hartman's book, here, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. This is chapter 12, How Fears of Abolition Shaped the Second Amendment. The most important part of this chapter is how the descendants of the English colonists, who were rich landholders and mega slave owners, coerced the writers of the Constitution to include protections for them to keep their slaves from revolting. 
Imagine what this country would look like if all those thousands of slaves have been able to come together and revolt against their keepers, who severely outnumbered all those keepers. So imagine this. You have all of these southern slave plantations, and they had thousands, some of them had hundreds to thousands of slaves on them. What if all of those slaves had all gotten together somehow and revolted against their masters? The dynamics of this, what this country looks like right now would be hugely different. It'd be a totally different country right now. But unfortunately, the, they couldn't do that simply because of this one thing in the Second Amendment. And the idea of having guns and militias together was promoted simply because the slave plantation owners needed to have their own personal armies they weren't very big, half a dozen to a dozen people, white people, obviously, running around on horses and guns to make sure that the slaves didn't revolt or do anything bad. That way they could shoot them or they could run after them with their dogs and horses and chase them down and torture them and shoot them or whatever they were doing if they tried to escape. Bottom line is these plantation owners got their way with the Second Amendment and now it's being used against everybody here in the country. Now, I'm going to jump back across the ocean again. I got another article coming out of the UK. This one's from Ireland. This one's kind of a funny one. And it's not politics, actually. Well, a little bit, but not much. This is, this is more of a humorous article here. Red faces in Ireland over coronation quips by Leo Varadkar's partner. So if anybody doesn't know, Leo Varadkar is the gay prime minister of, of the Republic of Ireland. Matt Barrett, his partner, Instagram posts from Westminster Abbey cause embarrassment after Irish delegation sets president by attending. So the big thing was they got an invitation to attend, which in the past they probably wouldn't have gotten. And this guy embarrassed the Irish government by doing some kind of not so great things. So the Tausik Varadkar Already, already in trouble over a couple of my minor personal scandals. One has to wonder if he's going to be able to hang on to his job. It would seem that the Irish may start looking for a replacement, somebody who can do a better job of the economy and less personal issues, such as Hanky Gate. And, and you can look that up. I'm not going to get into details about that one. But if you're interested in, in Republic of Ireland politics, look up Hanky Gate at your leisure. It's an interesting story. Now, here we go. Back to the United States. This one here is, again, is about GOP and their, their fears of Christianity and everything else. Um, but the big thing is, it's part of the story that I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, how this the senator from Louisiana, Tommy Tuberville, and he's holding up all these promotions. And the article is entitled, Defending White Nationalist. Tommy Tuberville fears a military that is going wrong. Senator from Ella, well, from Louisiana, who has no military background, a three-year congressman, is still holding up more than 200 promotions, complains that the Pentagon is too woke and left-leaning, and it's causing a deterioration of combat readiness and hurting recruiting. No one likes him now, even the GOP. And senior leadership leadership is even condemning him in public, but he doesn't seem to care. He's just another stupid human. 
And then here we go, more stupid humans. U.S. Senator denounced, denounced as profoundly ignorant man over remarks in Mexico. John Kennedy comments about Mexicans eating cat food came as he urged the U.S. military to enter the country to stop cartels. This came out of the Guardian U.S. News. This is by Ramon Antonio Vargas. Ignorance is bliss, so they say, but this is a good example of GOP stupidity. The fact that he's not only saying these things goes back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. If the GOP owns the Senate and the White House in 2024, we'll end up at war with Mexico when we invade a sovereign nation to go after the cartels. And there's another one. He lo- he's in the Tommy Tuberville category. And I got another one here. This is basically a, a trifecta for you. Right-wing U.S. Senator to give a virtual speech at a conservative U.K. conference. J.D. Vance, accused of pushing white supremacist, supremacist replacement theory to appear alongside senior Tories at NatCon in, in London. Now, te- you know, this talked about taking advantage. First Trump on CNN, now J.D. Vance with the right-wing Tories in London with his racist conspiracy theories. Apparently, he's going to fit right in over there with the Tories. Now, how much of this... How much of that is really going to make it to the American news outlets? Well, this is the only story I could find on it. Nobody else is talking about this. Now, whether that means the J.D. Vance is pretty irrelevant here, or maybe the GOP just didn't want anybody to know what he's doing. You know, you, you decide. And here we go. Book banning. Again, more of the GOP stuff here in the United States. Memfox book guess. Memfox book guess what? Banned in Florida County under Ron DeSantis bill. Agent for best-selling Australian children's author says she has nothing to say about the ban in Duval County. This is not important. So this came out of the Guardian.com books, um, but it's actually about an Australian author. Story by Kelly Burke. Another book banning in DeSantis land. Oh, that's kind of ho-hum news. And the so ho-hum author, an Australian, could care less. Banned because there is a picture of the main character, which is a cartoon character, basically, taking a bath in a children's book. No nudity, just someone taking a bath, but it falls under the new anti-nudity law down in Florida, what I call DeSantis land. So there seems they're falling backwards in time in Florida, back to when the Puritans and the Calvinists ran the U.S. up in the Northeast. And to be honest with you, this story came out a few days ago, and DeSantis land is doing more stuff. Um, new stuff coming out here in the last two days. You know, I, I may get to that, but be honest with you, you're probably going to hear all about it in the news anyway. So I got some good news here from the LGBTQ front. U.S. Supreme Court unanimously sides with the transgender refugee, affirming her identity in historic ruling. Justice Kendanji Brown Jackson wrote the court's opinion in Santos-Zachariah versus Garland, which is historic for its humanizing language to describe a transgender woman who fled persecution in Guatemala. And it's a story by Virginia Chamley. And it's, it was in People.com. But basically what it amounts to is that this Guatemalan refugee sued because she was being persecuted. I say she, he, she, they. I'm not sure what pronoun they want to use, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, the big thing about it is they sued, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court sided with them. 
which is great. So maybe that'll set a precedent for future lawsuits. I hope so. Now, we're going to go back to some not-so-great stuff. Another, another story. This came out of NPR.org here in the United States. A retired FBI agent on how to protect yourself during a mass shooting by Julie Deppenbrock. Here's the problem with this. Here in the United States, we have been doing active shooter drills in corporate buildings, public government buildings, and so on, for 20 years. And there's a problem with that. I mean, in the 50s and 60s, we were so afraid of the communists that we were doing nuclear bomb drills for the students in public schools here, teaching kids how to get under their desk and, and all kinds of stuff, which, you know, you drop a nuke on something, you, you know, you just kiss your butt goodbye. Forget about dropping underneath the desk. Well, the same thing applies here. If you got an active shooter roaming around shoot, shooting into classrooms, well, if you have a door, one door on a classroom, and you got a whole classroom full of kids, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, which has been noted in the past. So here in the United States, with all the mass shooters, here's a retired FBI agent telling everybody, well, this, we know you're going to get shot at, so this is how you protect yourself. With the fact that we even have to have that discussion, I think that's a big problem. I, I can think of... Other things we should be talking about instead of doing mass shooter drills in all the public schools here in this country. There's something seriously wrong with society here if we're doing that. And here's more society news, sort of, kind of. Um, student protesters were arrested. The man who got violent in the parking lot wasn't by Nicole Carr. And a photography by Tara Fondras. This came out of ProPublica on the 13th. College students arrested. A parking lot altercation. A retired teacher waking up to broken windows. Events at a school district in Conway, Arkansas, illustrate the alarming trend of unrest at school board meetings across the country. Can we say fascist? From Arkansas with love. If you're a student protester over the new national rage against transgender and LGBTQ rights, you're going to go to jail places like Arkansas. If you're a middle-aged redneck who get who you get a talking to for violently pushing somebody who's an advocate of LGBTQ and transgender rights in public. The big thing is the woman, this, this man got angry at a meeting, a school board meeting, and he found an activist out in the parking lot. So he took his anger out on her, pushed her up against the car pretty hard, and she ended up going to the hospital. But of course, she filed a complaint, and the police went out to this man's house because he wasn't hard to find, and they talked to him, and he got he apologized to the police because he was angry and couldn't help himself, so they let him go. I mean, to me, that's assault and battery. I mean, you have to make, if you get pushed like that and hard enough to go to the hospital, in anybody's rule book or any law book, that's assault and battery, but no, they, they, Patted him on the head and said, don't do it again. Well, there you go, Conway, Arkansas. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it happens not just there, but it's happening around the country and a lot of other places, Michigan, Missouri, the southeastern states, uh, Florida especially, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's just getting to be a thing. And here's a good news article by Charles Dutz. This came out of timemagazine.com, time.com. And immigrants are key to fighting off authoritarianism. It's a story that describes how immigrants work harder, 
vote better than native-born citizens as if native-born native -born people are lazy and apathetic voters these days. The more you isolate from the rest of the world, the more society breaks down, it appears. The reporter cites the UK and the US as current examples. And basically, what that means is American voters have been apathetic for decades. They've given up a lot on the system, especially African-American voters here in this country. They're, they're strongly discouraged from voting, have been for a long time now. Um, they take away their, their polling places. They do everything to uh, hurt them with identification to, you know, to make you legal to vote and everything else. So a lot of people are giving up. They just don't vote anymore because it's not worth all the trouble to go do it. And it should be the other way around. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a right given to us by the Constitution to vote for our, our government leaders, and yet we're being turned away. Uh, well, unless you, unless you are a certain particular demographic. I, you know, let me qu clarify that. But the pro bottom line is, if we let immigrants in, let them become citizens, let them vote, things would probably work a lot better here. But no. And this one here, another Tom Hartman article, came out a little bit later in the week. Trump couldn't possibly be a Russian asset, could he? Apparently, John Durham's imagination couldn't extend to the possibility that Trump has been a Russian asset for at least 30 years and continues to be one to this day. Why? The biggest takeaway from this article is how much the government is hiding from the world at large. Well, we all know governments hide secrets from their citizens. That's a given, and every country in the world does it. The United States, most especially. What if NATO found out that this was true? As in, you know, Donald Trump being a Russian asset for 30 years. What if a lot of other countries in the Asian PAC alliance discovered that this was true? The U.S. lose so much credibility with the world that they could lose nearly everything in terms of trust and relationships other than with the world's authoritarians. But maybe that was the idea. We all know how Trump is buddy-buddies with Putin and Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping and everybody else, you know, known authoritarians. And he's best. He's wanting to be best buddies with them guys. So think about it. If you add up all the articles going back last 10 years, 15 years or so, you put all the puzzle pieces together. It's very, it's not a hard stretch to believe that good possibility that the Russians have something on Donald Trump for some of his misdeeds and the Miss Universe pageants and so on that, you know, long before he was president. And, you know, could they have set him up uh, with one of those uh, Moscow sparrows and took pictures and stuff? Well, there's a very good possibility. And I am going to go from there to cl climate here again. Come out of the Guardian. This is uh, pollution. Plastic pollution could be slashed by 80% by 2040, the UN says. Changes needed are major, but also practical and affordable, report says, and would bring trillions of dollars in benefits. Well, this is good news for the environment if we, the people of the world, can get the corporations to get on board with this. Since these initiatives can make them a lot of money, it's a win-win, you think. But problem is you got to put up a bunch of money up front, what apparently the corporations involved with this stuff don't want to do. They're worried about their bottom line today, not 
20 years from now. Now, this is a political article I picked up again um, from Northern Ireland. And it it doesn't mean a whole lot on the worldwide scheme, but it's pretty important in the UK in a lot of regards. Northern Ireland local elections 2023. When are they and are they significant? Councils in Northern Ireland are up for election and the results could be, the results could be influential in whether the DOP drops its boycott of Stormont. This came out of the, the telegraph.co.uk. This is by James Crisp. This doesn't have much import for the Americans, but it's a big deal for Northern Ireland. These small councillor elections are very important in the bigger politics of the area to try and push the DUB back to Stormont to start taking care of the people there instead of keeping up their temper tantrums over Brexit and the trade issue over the Irish Sea. I really hope that this works, that a lot of these local elections over there, when they start going through, will actually kind of take the DUP and make them sit on the back steps for a little bit. They, they've been way too much in the front over there, and, you know, they're racist in, and arguments about this and that. So worried about being displaced. Does that sound like a familiar scene here in the United States? So maybe it'll come out. Um, if they, you know, if anything ever comes up more about this, I'll try to keep an eye out for more articles. See how see how it goes. I would really like to see the unionists, and I don't care if the DUP shows up or not, but the union unionists in general over there make it back to Stormont and start governing like governing like they're supposed to. So I have. Another thing from across this side of the pond. This one talks about boycotting Florida. My truck won't move. Our truckers boycotting Florida over DeSantis' new immigration law by C.A. Bridges Stout Nguyen. This is in USA Today. Latino truck drivers say they want to boycott deliveries to Florida over discriminatory new immigration law. Will enough of them take up the cause start causing shortages in the new kingdom of DeSantis land. And that's, that could be if, if enough Latino truck drivers got on board with that and they boycotted making deliveries or picking up freight from Florida, it could put a huge clamp on the Florida economy. So that's going to be interesting to watch out for. Um, DeSantis is really trying to make a name for himself. And I read something this morning, which I didn't post here, but I'll kind of give it to you now because we're talking about Florida. He just passed more restrictions down there. And the rumor is, strong rumor, which apparently is going to come true, that next week he's going to put in his put in his hat in the ring to run for president of the United States. Well, everybody in the world is scared about that one right now. He's he's Trump on steroids. And he has all the baggage that he has all of the less baggage that Trump carries. He's smart, a lot smarter, but he's actually worse than Trump in a lot of ways. So personally, I'm scared of the guy. Um, I'm hoping that enough people will see that and not vote for him. And I got a climate change article for you. A crucial climate technology provokes fears in all country. The Biden administration is offering $12 billion in subsidies for efforts to store massive amounts of greenhouse gases underground. But critics say Washington isn't ready to ensure it's safe. This came out of, this came out of political.com. 
Although it sounds good, they apparently don't want to have all the bugs worked out of this new technology to bury carbon gases deep in the ground. I don't know about you folks, but burying gas and burying a gas that could expand without good safety protocols sounds like a bad idea. Why not figure out a way to ship it into outer space? That way it can expand or contract all at once out there. But that, you know, just an idea. What I mean, what happens? See, you got in a gas that expands and contracts. Any structures that are sitting on top of that stuff are going to have some serious foundation problems. I think they ought to rethink this a little bit more. But I, you know, load that stuff on rockets and send it out in outer space. We send satellites up all the time. Well, why not? Nobody cares if you dump, dump your trash in space. Alleged attacker of congressman staff had a history of mental illness, police say. And I, I pull this simply because it's kind of a standalone article in and in itself. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this. I don't know if I can say his name correctly. Zuan Katran Tham, 49, had also assaulted a woman, a woman earlier on the same day and he, and he struck two women at the Democrat Virginia's office. And this came out of the Guardian U.S. News. So much for political motivation. And, and again, it had nothing, very little to do with politics other than the fact he's another one of them guys that watched right-wing news because he's mentally ill and he fell through the cracks, didn't get the help that he should have. And his dad told everybody in the news that. And he's because of all the stuff he listened to on the news, he acted out on his deranged impulses. Now, from his name, I'm inferring that he's Vietnamese or, you know, his parents were from Vietnam. But it's definitely not your stereotypical angry, angry MAGA devotee. And that's, that's a thing. We push so much of this stuff onto the MAGA people. Now, don't get me. I don't condone them people. I think they're all kind of nut jobs uh, in a lot of ways. You know, the kind of people we used to make fun of that put tinfoil on their heads because they were worried about aliens. Uh, I know I put the MAGA people in the same category, but they don't, they're not all, they're not necessarily all violent. But the guy in Texas, in Allen, Texas, I said last week, he was, he was mentally ill. And here's a guy attacking people. He's mentally ill. These are the people that we need to do something about. They, we need to get them to help so that we don't have these problems anymore. So we go from there to technology. Former Apple engineer charged with stealing autonomous car tech trade secrets. Autonomous car, which means EV cars. This is the new acronym for electric vehicles. Weibo Wang, fled the U.S. in 2018, has reportedly been working for a Chinese EV company ever since. This is Thompson, Thompson Reuters in CBC.Canada. World News. No big secret. Chinese once again run off with American proprietary technology for use in their products. They will probably reverse engineer EV cars with the technology and try to sell them back to the United States or even Canada or whoever. I mean, the big thing is, with the United States being the way they are, most likely China will invent their cars and they'll sell them to everybody else in the world except the Americans. Asia's spending big to battle low birth rates. Will it work? Another article out of Foreign News, BBC.com, by Mariko Oi. And I'm betting she's Japanese. Uh, but I could be wrong. It seems that most of the affluent Asian countries are battling low birth rates. 
Japan leads the list now. Nothing seems to be working to incentivize couples to make more babies. Is this a sign that these countries will fail back to the medieval days due to lack of workers for their economies? The U.S. is also on that list, although at a much lower pace. So for anybody who doesn't know this, a lot of big countries, little small countries, Japan being small in population compared to China and the United States, they're having issues with high, low birth rates. It's up. Their populations are aging rapidly. And so the demographics in the countries have changed. You got more senior citizens than you got young people making babies. China let go of all their restrictions. They're promoting highly trying to get couples to make children. Japan's really trying to put forth a lot of effort, and it's not working. And some other countries over in Europe are also noticing low birth rates. In the United States, they're promoting it to a degree as well, trying to get people. Well, think about it. This business with Dobbs last year is a way to encourage women to have babies. And if you have a baby, we're going to make you keep it. Okay. So instead of promoting high, higher birth rates, they're just going to make you keep it, whether it's viable or not. You know, we don't care as long as you're making babies. And if they die so much, make more. That's that's the policy here in the United States. Other countries are a lot nicer about it. Um, they're trying to be gentle, offering them money, financial incentives, and so on. Um, you know, if they would do more of that kind of stuff here in the United States, you might get a better reaction. But no, we got to go hard line here. And this is another article I picked up from Tom Hartman this week, and he's he's been a busy feller. When do we officially declare that the GOP has killed America? Next year may be the last chance to reclaim the values of democracy, pluralism, and egalitarianism that have animated this country since her founding. Nobody can say they weren't warned about the stakes. And it kind of goes in line with an article I wrote you know, the day before, a couple of days ago. The United States is dying a slow death. Once the money runs out, the billionaires will go somewhere else leaving behind the remnants of a dead country in their wake. And this goes to show economics is economics. Billionaires don't care. They don't care where they're making money from as long as they're making it. So if they kill off the economy in the United States, they're just going to move overseas somewhere and they're going to pick another country to attack. And once they bled that country dry, they'll move on to another one. And so it goes. So what I have for you now is an article out of Japan. This came out of a, a writer um, in Medium. It's, the article is from unseenjapan.medium.com. Kalabo, the other Japan women's groups and other Japan women's groups enduring targeted harassment over there. It goes to show you the misogynist behavior is not just in the United States. An article from Japan about serious issues with women's health organizations, organizations being attacked because they're helping women and the men don't like it. This appears to be a worldwide phenomenon. Well, in a lot of, in a lot of places, a lot more than it should be. Certain men just don't want women. Certain men want women to be subservient to them, period. I think that's more of a not, somewhat cultural thing in a lot of countries. Uh, and some of it is DNA. So that's all of the news stories that I have for you right now. And I kind of went over long today. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go to break. And I'm going to take a little break. 
And once I come back, I'm going to go through a couple of op-eds with you for a few minutes um, about education and racism. So stay tuned, and I'll be back in a few minutes. I want to take this break time to bring attention to my website, Crombieha, at https colon forward slash forward slash 527.websitex5.me. I have a blog page where I offer insights and teasers about the articles and stories I write and where I posted them. Here on the website, you can also learn a little more about what Crombieha means for a little bit of Irish culture and more about me in general. I also have links to my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you care to read my Medium.com articles, I have an option at the end of all the articles and stories to leave a donation to my coffee fund and to sign up for a subscription if you want. No one's obligated to financially support my work because I post everything for free. Medium does ask you to sign up to read the full piece though, even if it is for free, so just a heads up. If you want to read something and don't want to sign up for anything, give me a shout through the contact page on my website and I'll reach back out to you to see if we can work something out. Welcome back to Crown Behind on the second part of my show today. I've got two articles here for you for my op-ed, and they're on education here in the United States. My first article is from Allison Wiltz, published in Writers and Editors of Color Magazine and Medium.com. It is entitled, Why the Fight Against Racism Should Start in the Classroom. Well-informed citizens can effectively challenge the status quo. And what she's talking about here, in a lot of ways, is the lack of education now here in American classrooms. Florida has basically shut it off, and a lot of other states are following suit here in the United States where they, they don't want to talk about this critical race theory. They don't want to talk about any kind of racist type of agenda in any way in the classrooms. Basically, they don't want to talk about racism in education, period. So I remember 50 years ago when I went to social studies and um, civics and classes and things like that in American history classes from high school, and they didn't talk about the Civil War. They didn't talk about racism. Uh, well, the only way they talked about racism it was about all of the, in the 60s, all of the civil rights legislation and acts and things like that, um, and, and all the new, new things that came out, came out without a J. But apparently, that's all stopped now. They don't talk about it at all. Uh, if they do, it's very little. Uh, and I'll talk a little more about that in my next article. So I'm going to read a little bit of this to you here. The best antidote for racism is education. Yet, like the vaccine, which saved millions of lives during the global pandemic, a misinformation campaign stands in the way of many people getting the doses they need. Only a group of well-informed citizens can effectively challenge the status quo, which is why many conservatives are holding information about race and racism under lock and key. For instance, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently signed a bill designed to defund diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Florida's public colleges. This racially discriminatory measure clipped the wings of educators trying to ensure students have equitable access to education and develop cultural competency. 
DeSantis suggested students who want to acquire niche majors can attend schools like Berkeley, but Florida schools intend to focus on the basics. However, framing racism is an, as a niche topic is, is, is historical. You cannot hope to grasp American history without learning about the role of racism, and I totally agree with that. Racism is a big part of how the United States came to be the country that it is right now. It's ingrained deep in its history, in its society, in every part of what we are and do right now. And anybody standing outside the United States can see that. But the Republicans are bound and determined to shut that off. They don't want anybody here to know about that stuff. It makes them look bad. So I'm going to continue a little bit more. Let us not forget that America was founded by enslavers who did not consider black people to be entirely human. In the 1787 Constitutional Convention, state delegates determined that every enslaved American would be counted as three-fifths of a person for taxation and representation purposes. Now imagine, these slaves never did pay any taxes, nor did they get any refunds. So getting three-fifths of the amount of tax, the only person that benefited from that were their owners. A compromise that allowed southern states to benefit. Anti-black racism was foundational to the American project, allowing white people to systematically profit off forced labor and migration of black people, and set the table for the circumstances that followed. If DeSantis and other conservatives have their way, students will never learn that basic fact. So we had some constitutional amendments like the 13th and 14th that granted black Americans legal status. This protection was poorly enforced. Yeah, right. And as a result, members of the Ku Klux Klan and other white right organizations terrorized black citizens for exercising the right to vote. They would literally wipe people out. They'd kill them, terrorize them, hang them, burn them, you name it. And in, as she wrote in Culture Magazine, the author here, students will never understand why black Americans needed to fight for rights in the 1960s without understanding the social climate of the 1860s and 70s. The fact that black Americans had to fight for a century after the Civil War to acquire basic civil rights and continue to live in a system inundated with racist laws, policies, and beliefs should be taught, not whitewashed away like a dirty stain. Those who do not understand racism will not likely fight against it. And that's the whole premise. If you don't know anything about it, how do you know you should fight for it? The motivation of people trying to block conversation about racism is clear. They want to maintain the current racial hierarchy by denying it, denying it exists and persecuting those who want to tell the truth. As Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote in the 1619 Project, white Americans desire to be free of the past they do not want to remember, while black Americans remain bound to the past they can never forget. Denying the bits of American history to make white people feel uncomfortable doesn't change reality. But it does change how students view social issues like racism. When the topic of racism becomes taboo, it silences those trying to develop solutions like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Whether America has any hopes of rising above its racist origin story depends on its citizenry and what they know how they feel about the current state of affairs, and why is the battle against racism should start in the classroom. Specifically, students should learn about history, of the history of enslavement, racial terror, 
political disenfranchisement, housing segregation, separate and unequal education, environmental racism, racial wealth gap, and a pathologization of the black family, and how these factors continue to impact black Americans. Sadly, many people, white people have become dedicated gatekeepers, refusing to allow students the opportunity to learn about racism. Since January 2021, 44 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that would restrict teaching critical race theory or limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism, according to an Education Week analysis. Since the majority of states have passed laws that prohibit topics like racism from entering the classroom, it seems educators who believe students should learn about racism are on the losing end of the battle. From an educator's perspective, this is a discouraging state of affairs, but the stakes are too high to throw in the towel. When the topic of racism becomes taboo, it silences those trying to develop solutions. We must remember that fighting against racism is more than a matter of will. It's a matter of education. After World War II, German educators enshrined lessons about the racism and anti-Semitism anti-Semitism that inspired Holocaust in their country's educational framework to ensure that a tragedy like this would never unfold again. However, Americans have taken the other approach, hosting lavish weddings at former plantations where enslaved people suffered instead of museums Germans constructed at former concentration campsites, constructing monuments to slave owners or their lost cause and whitewashing the intentions of war for states to maintain their right to enslave black people as opposed to reckoning with the truth, as the Germans did after the aftermath of the Nazis. Today, Germany does not run from its painful past as America does, but it has separated itself from the bigoted ideas that stained its democracy. Why can't the United States do the same thing? Anti-black racism is a unique beast, highlighted by Governor DeSantis' decision law that requires students to learn about Asian American Pacific Islander history while simultaneously banning discussions about black history and experiences from the classroom. So it goes on more about DeSantis, which we all know what he's like, and more about how you know American life could change if we were to teach him everything. Students who do not understand the role racism plays in American life can never hope to grasp the basics. Where people, where black people can live, work, and what they can achieve is limited by racist laws, policies, and beliefs in American society, and those who do not understand how racism functions will not likely become champions of racial equality. They're more, le- they're more likely to leave it intact. And again, you know, more about how the truth, can, you know, if we were a truly great nation, the truth cannot destroy us. In other quotes, bottom line is we are trying to hide from the fact that we held slaves in this country. At least a certain demographic in the United States, anyway. Let's put it that way. And it does, the thing about it is slavery doesn't just apply to the African Americans. The Latinos were held in slavery down in the southwest part of the United States all, all during those years. The 19th century was rife with slavery. The Catholics enslaved people left and right down there, especially in the early parts when the Spaniards still owned everything. So it's not just them. 
but slavery is all about the Europeans coming in and do their thing. Something that I've made note about in some of my articles and stuff like that. Um, you know, so it's a very important aspect of American society that, you know, my my way of thinking is, I'm going to segue into the next article here, simply because I, and I'll, I'll give you this at the tail end. This article is another one that came out of medium.com. And it's from a magazine called the, U the Conversation U.S. And this is from a professor of journalism, Boaz Dver, up at Penn State. I'm an educator and grandson of Holocaust survivors, and I see public schools failing to give students the historical knowledge they need to keep our democracy strong. Numerous efforts recently have limited student access to books and curricula about slavery and other sensitive topics. But history itself shows democracy suffers when people are uninformed. And it talks more about the Florida Department of Education, how they're banning books and the DEI initiatives and all this other stuff. Um, that, you know, talks about here, April 10th, 2023, rejected 35% of social study books um, that they submitted for approval. And the and the move was based on determination that books contain references to social justice issues and other information not aligned with Florida law. And of course, it got a lot of attention. Uh, the big thing is 36 other states have halted or are seeking the legal means to stop teachers from examining racism in their classrooms. And there's banning, book banning going on all over the place, from racism to Holocaust, LBGTQ, parent groups have campaigned to restrict, to restrict the instruction of such difficult, you know, we all know this. Models for Liberty is one of the biggest groups trying to stop all this stuff. They don't want their kids knowing anything. And now I'm going to kind of, I'm reading through this a little bit. I'm going to pick out the most important parts. So this assistant professor, um, is the descendants of Holocaust survivors. And he, his job is to look into this kind of stuff. Uh, he directs a program, the Holocaust Genocide and Human Rights Education Initiative and the Hamill Family Human Rights Initiative. And, you know, they talked about how they've been shying away from all this stuff. Here, all right, so I'm going to read this portion of it to you. Major, many educators have been shying away from Senate issues. The 2022 American Instructional Resource Survey survey about teachers' views on what they can teach by Rand Education and Labor, which focused on school and education issues, shows the new and proposed state laws restricting the instruction of difficult topics made a quarter of the country's four million teachers hesitant or downright scared to teach those subjects. And this is especially true in the red states. Students are deprived of vital lessons, lessons such as global persistence of crimes against humanity and factors that give rise to genocides. So if you don't know what a genocide is, you might actually be inclined to go do something. I don't really want to talk about the Nazi things too much he's got in here. Um, but he does talk a little bit about... Costly ignorance is one of his paragraphs. Many Americans born between 1981 and 2012, according to a 2020 show and consulting national poll, lack basic knowledge of the Nazis' murder of 6 million Jews, millions of people with disabilities, homosexuals, Romani, and members of other oppressed groups. 
about two-thirds of respondents grossly underestimated the number of Hitler's Jewish victims and knew little to nothing about the world's largest ever death camp, Auschwitz. Ignorance plagues other difficult topics as well. May 2023, the National Center for Education Statistics released a report showing 8th graders' grasp of U.S. history and civics had reached a historic low. The report revealed that in 2022, only 13% of American 8th graders understood historic U.S. events such as Civil War, a 5% drop from 2018. But the fact that 18% only understood that, and now we're down to 13%, I'm thinking that might be by design in a lot of places. Few children and adults realize Europeans enslaved millions of indigenous people throughout the Americas. Comprehension of African enslavement runs nearly as shallow. Nine out of ten high schoolers who filled out a 2018 Southern Poverty Law Center survey failed to recognize slavery as the Civil War's central cause. Matter, basically, what he's saying is those students that were polled had no idea what caused the Civil War. A large majority of them didn't even know we had a civil war. Most of the surveys, adult respondents urge better preparation for those who teach students about slavery. Well, you know, I disagree with that. It's not the teacher's problem here because they're being told what to teach. It's all the school boards and the governments in these states that are telling the teachers what you can and can't teach. Uh, you know, here's more about book bannings, which I won't get into too much. Uh, Tony's Tony Morrison's beloved, a fictional tale of freed enslaved people to Anne Frank's diary of a young girl about a Jewish girl's life under Nazi occupation. We all know what happened to her. She got caught and got sent to the camps and got killed. But we're not allowed to talk about that here in the United States anymore. I mean, we've been banning books since, according to him, we've been banning books since the colonial days. Well, you know, that doesn't just stop here in the United States. Europeans have been banning books since the days of, uh, you know, the first Methodist breakouts from the Catholic Church. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing. He goes more about classroom things, bannings, uh, punishing educators, and stuff like that. Well, as I said last week, educators are leaving these states in droves leaving classrooms empty due to lack of teachers. And I don't know what's going to happen here eventually. And if Ron DeSantis gets elected, it's going to get worse. Some of the efforts are unlikely to have a practical, although 49 state legislatures aim to prohibit the teaching of critical race theory, school districts have rarely incorporated the graduate level academic concept. And, you know, big words. Uh, basically, the United States right now is doing everything they can to shut down any mention, I mean, that's 49 out of 50 states, shut down any mention of critical race theory. In other words, the white people don't want anybody in the world to know that we had slaves here in this country and how much it's shaped society. And that's kind of, I kind of glazed over this article only because of what it talks about. Now that's, you know, that's all I have for you this week. The big thing about this is be cognizant of what's going on here in the United States. If you're listening to this and you live in the United States, I want you to know what's coming for you. You are fast coming to a fastest, what they call a soft, fastest country. 
we already know here just from what little bit I've told you today that um, you're going to be restricted on what you're what you're allowed to know. The governments in charge don't want you to know anything about the history of the United States. They don't. They want you to know next to nothing about civics. In other words, how our government works, and they want to restrict voting. They want to do everything they can so that only a particular demographic group of people in the United States will be allowed to vote. And it's based on economics and the color of your skin. If you have white skin and you are middle to, from middle to uh, rich here in the United States, you're going, to get to be, you're going to be allowed to vote. If you are a poor person or you've got brown or dark skin, they're going to do everything they can to discourage you or outright stop you from voting. That way, we basically have a one-party system here. And they can perpetuate that by restricting the voting. So I encourage everybody to listen to this and listen to all of the other articles in the news about this going on because they're coming for you. If you have brown skin, dark skin, if you're not a Christian, if you're, if you're anything other than that small demographic, they're coming after you. They will eventually will come get you and you think you're marginalized now? Well, it's going to get worse. I want to close up the show today with that last note. And I'm sorry that I took you over long today, but I had a lot to give out. Um, this business with the education kind of cropped up on, on the thing today. So I, I wanted to make sure that everybody is aware of what's going on in this country. My future broadcasts are also going to be on the same theme. I'm going to try and promote the things that you need to know, mostly here in the United States, of how much our democracy is being taken away from us. With that, I'll leave you go and hope you have a good rest of your week. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of the Crombie podcast. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast will be free and can be found on many different platforms now. Search for the Crown Beha Podcast or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-A-I-L-L in your favorite app. My goal is for this to feel like a village meeting place atmosphere under the spreading oak tree during our time together with an Irish flair. As a Sean Kay, I want to travel to your digital village to bring you the back page news from the outside world and maybe a story too that might bring you a smile and make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I close out this episode, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day until we meet again. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more. Nothing but happiness come through your door. Slango foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish. <laughs>